Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. So if you get some of those latter books of the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. And we're going to do something tonight, today, that we hardly ever do. And that is we're going to read the entire book. Now don't fret because there's, I think, 40 some, 48 verses, something like that. But uh, Jonah, beginning in chapter 1, you follow in your Bibles as I read. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Am- Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried, Every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that, that, that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceeding afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto thee, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord from his his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple." The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, and the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars uh, was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought me up, up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. 
When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger and, we, and that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of this book of Jonah. We know, Lord, that in this book there are many lessons for us, and I pray that we might learn some of those lessons today. We thank you that you're a merciful God and that you're a gracious God, 
and that you save those who do not deserve to be saved, and that's all of us. When we trust Jesus, we've become a child of God, not because we deserve it, but because you are so good and you've done so much for us by sending your Son. Lord, help us to understand your heart today as we look into this book. And then, Lord, we forgot to mention a while ago in the prayer request, Sister Sarah, and I know she's expecting two tw- the, the twins, and they're supposed to be delivered tomorrow. And we ask for her, Lord, that you might make everything go well and be no problems with her or the children. And we just thank you for this wonderful family, and I pray your blessing upon them. Bless this message to our hearts. Give enablement to preach it, we've asked in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us are probably familiar with the book of Jonah. The part of the book that is most well-known is that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. He lived inside the fish for three days, was vomited out, and then lived to tell the story. Because of this part of the book, critics have laughed at the book of Jonah and called it fiction or myth, or at the best, some call it an allegory. But the Bible believers, Bible believers accept the book as it is and believe exactly what it says. We believe it's all true. And we're encouraged by the fact that the Lord Jesus referred to Jonah in Matthew chapter 11 as a historical person. Let me read that passage, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So Jesus said, Jonah is real, and the account of him is something that we can believe. So we know it's true because even Jesus said it was true. We also read about Jonah in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. In 2 Kings 14, it says in verse 25, and uh, it talks about in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, that he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gathhefer. And so Jonah was a real character. It's not an allegory. It's not a myth. It's not fiction. It's real. Yes, the book of Jonah is a great book that teaches lessons that all of us need to learn. And we're going to look at some of those lessons today. Several years ago, I wrote a song for children to the tune that could be sung by children to the tune of Jesus loves me, uh, this this I know. And uh, it goes like this. God told Jonah to preach the word to Ninevites who had never heard. He decided to disobey, caught a ship, and sailed away. And then the chorus, don't be like Jonah, don't be like Jonah, don't be like Jonah, the prophet who wouldn't obey. The Lord sent a storm into the sea, so fierce it made the sailors plea. They cried to their gods to no avail while Jonah slept right through the gale. Wake up, you sleeper, the captain cried. Pray to your God before we die. Then Jonah confessed he was to blame because he ran from God, oh, what a shame. Jonah said, throw me overboard. But they rode and prayed, then cried, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's sin. 
And then they picked him up and threw him in. God wasn't through with the prophet yet, so a great fish swallowed Jonah wet. In the fish with weeds around his head, three days and nights he made his bed. But he prayed, confessed, and made his vow, so God told the, the fish, vomit him now. Up came Jonah, oh, what a sight, ready to preach to the Ninevites. So when God tells you to, to follow him, remember Jonah, don't take a swim. Obey his word without delay, and he will guide you all the way. Don't be like Jonah, the, the prophet who wouldn't obey. If any parents want to sing that with their kids, there's copies of it up here, and it's a fun, fun song to sing. Uh, in my ministry, I look back over, I've pastored for about 48 years. I've preached longer than that. There's only one message in all my ministry that I remember somebody else preached, and I can remember their outline. And the, me the message was the most sickening man in the Bible. And we had the privilege today of having his nephew in our church. The pan's name was Dr. Paul Tassel well-known preacher in, in the General Association of Regular Baptists. Uh, he was their main leader at, for quite a while, and he is Mark Tassel's uncle. And to his message that I remember, the most sickening man in the Bible was Jonah. And his, his outline was this. Chapter 1, Jonah made the sea sick. Chapter 2, Jonah made the whale sick. Chapter 3, Jonah made the king sick with conviction. And chapter 4, Jonah made God sick. That's a good outline. It's the only one of any other preacher I ever remember. And that's the one I remember, Dr. Paul Tassel. We need to realize that Jonah wrote this book. And he learned the lessons that we are going to consider today. Jonah learned those lessons. When he concludes the book, he never answers the last question that God gave him. And that last question was, should not I spare Nineveh? He didn't answer that. I believe it's because he wanted God to have the last word. And he wanted us to ponder the question and learn from it, just like no doubt Jonah pondered the question and learned from it. I imagine Jonah was a good prophet after this. I imagine God used him even more after this. But he wrote this account of what happened in his life. So let's examine some of the lessons this morning that we can learn from God's reluctant, uncaring prophet, by the name of Jonah. The first lesson is, lesson is this. You cannot get away from God. Now, we all know that. And usually when you'd say, you know, you can't get away from the Lord, somebody bring up Jonah. Because Jonah teaches that lesson. You cannot get away uh, from the Lord. Let's lay, lay the, uh, the groundwork before we do that to see that uh, they learned that lesson. Uh, Jonah was God's servant. He was a prophet. Second Kings tells us that he was a servant of God, he was a prophet, and God had used him to prophesy things that came to happen, came about, as he mentions there in Second Kings uh, chapter 12. Nineveh was later known as the capital of the Assyrian Empire, not at this time, because this was written about 760 B.C., and it became the capital of the Assyrian Empire in 700 B.C., so sometime before that, it became capital. It was still a big city, and it was a wicked city. Uh, Jonah, at Jonah's time, it was a great city. The Bible says in verse, chapter 1, verse 2, it was a great city. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says a great city. Chapter 3, verse 3, it says, God says it's an exceeding great city. 
In chapter 4, verse 11, he tells us a little bit of the size of this city. It says there were 120,000 people in that city that couldn't discern between their right hand and their left. That means there were probably 120,000 little children. And those who can sort of uh, calculate how many people must have been in that city say that there were probably 600,000 to a million people in in the city of Nineveh and the surrounding suburbs. Historians say that that city and its suburbs was probably 60 miles around circumference and had walls 100 feet high. And so it was a big city. But it was also a wicked city. Chapter 1, verse 2 said, Their wickedness has come up before me. God said, It's so wicked I can smell the stench of the wickedness. It's come up before God. They did not want to, uh, Jonah did not want to take God's preaching assignment to that city because it was such a wicked city and it was known by the people of Israel and it was an enemy of Israel and he did not want to go there. And when the Lord said, I want you to go and cry against that city, Joseph's answer to that was to try to flee from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> That's almost laughable. You can't do that. I remember it, I've said it several times, but I can remember a a seminary professor one time saying this, men, you need to understand there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. Well, that's true because God's everywhere. God's everywhere. And God was at, in that city of Nineveh. And, uh, but Jonah says, I don't want to do, go there. I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord. So he got in a ship. He went to T- Joppa. Now, if you could sort of imagine in your mind a map, and uh, here's, here's Jonah and he goes over to Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and he catches a ship and goes that way, totally opposite of the way he's supposed to go, which is that way, and he went all the way on the southern part of Spain, or that's where he wanted to go. He got on the ship going there. Might, be, might remind you, you know, when you go running from the Lord, don't be surprised if your first step is easy. <laughs> you say, well, it must not be too bad. I'm, I'm doing just fine. Jonah did just fine too, didn't he? He found a ship going exactly where he wanted to go. And he had the money to pay the fare. So he gets in the ship and he feels so comfortable that he goes to sleep down in the ship. And so if you start running from God, the first time you might think you're going to get by with it. But you cannot run from the presence of the Lord. Why can't you? Well, the psalmist said you can't. In Psalm 139, a very familiar passage, it says in verse 7, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall shall hold me. You can't get away from God. doesn't matter where you go. God's there. And so you can't run from God. And Jonah learned that lesson. He couldn't run from God because when he got... When he got away in the ship, he found out God controlled the weather. And, you know, God does. God controls the weather. It's something how God can stop your plans with weather. God can stop a big army with snow, white, fluffy snow. God can do that. And so God controls the weather. You can't get away from God because everywhere you go, there's weather, and God controls the weather. Also, God controls um, the sea. He gets in the sea, and there's a, there's a big wind, and it stirs up the sea, 
and it's so bad that the seasoned sailors are scared to death. They've never had anything like this. They know it's supernatural. Why? God controls the sea. God controls other people. You say, well, I'm going to go to Tarshish, and uh, these people don't know anything about me, and, but God does, <laughs> and God controls those people. And what do those people do when they face that storm? They try to do everything they can, but they can't, can't accomplish anything. They go wake up Jonah and find he's asleep. He said, oh, sleeper, what are you doing down here asleep? Everybody's calling out to their God. You must have a God. Why don't you call out to him? And uh, they found out that Jonah was the culprit. And they cast lots, and God decides the lots, you know. And so they cast lot, and lot fell on Jonah, and they said, so you're the one. Jonah said, you're right. He says, I, I was fleeing from God. I'm a Hebrew, and I was fleeing from God. And maybe he told him about his commission. And you know, it might, just, might very well have been, there were, of course, Gentiles on that ship. It might very well have been there's people from Nineveh on that ship. But anyway, they found out why, why Jonah was fleeing. And Jonah said, why don't you just throw me overboard? Well, what Jonah didn't know, wasn't thinking about, God controls the animals too. <laughs> See, he controls everything. And he controls the animals. So Jonah thinks, well, I'm going to get out of this. I'm just going to die. I'm just going to commit suicide by letting them throw me over. I'm going to suggest they throw me overboard. And in this storm, there's no way I can survive. But he didn't realize God also controls the animals. You remember the animal that uh, Balaam rode that time? And uh, he was going, uh, he wasn't, wasn't supposed to curse God's people, but he thought about it. <laughs> and uh, he goes on this animal, this uh, donkey, and uh, the donkey stops and, and goes over to the side and won't go forward. And he finally ends up talking to that donkey. And the donkey's talking to him, and he's talking to the donkey. He doesn't have the sense to realize, wait a minute, donkeys aren't supposed to talk. <laughs> well, donkeys can talk if God wants them to talk. <laughs> God controls the animal. You remember that time Peter owed uh, some uh, taxes? He said, Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, well, go down, the, go down to the stream, cast in a line, and there'll be a fish get on that line. It'll have a, co- have a, a coin in its mouth, and you can pay the tax with that coin. <laughs> well, how did that happen? Well, God controls the fish. All God had to do, all Jesus had to do is say to that fish, there's a coin over there. Go pick it up and get, over, and get on that line right there. And they obey him. You see, God controls the animals. Remember the time Jesus got on a colt to ride? That colt had never been ridden before. But he got on that colt, and it was just as calm as it could be. Why? God controls the animals. See, you can't run from God. God controls everything. In fact, God controls the time of your death. Jonah said, I'm just going to end it all. I'm going to drown. Throw me overboard. (laughs) Now, he could have had another choice. You know, he could have said, Men, I'm a Hebrew and I'm fleeing from God. Let me try this. Let me tell God I'm sorry and I'll do what he told me to do. He didn't want to do that. He still didn't want to obey God. So he said, just throw me overboard. Well, God controls the time of your death too. God determines whether you're going to die or not going to die. And so he didn't let Jonah uh, die because God had that animal prepared and that animal was a great fish. Now, in the in the... New Testament says it's a whale, but it, the Greek word there is not whale. The Greek word is a great fish. So we don't know if it's a whale or not. Some people have rejected the book of Jonah because they say there's no fish that could swallow a man whole. And if they could, he couldn't live inside that fish. 
unless God says so. <laughs> and if God says so, he will. But then they found out since that a sperm whale can swallow a man, and they found out that others fish is a great fish. But what's it say here? God prepared a fish. In other words, God had this fish specially prepared for this job, and that is to swallow Jonah and let Jonah live inside of him. God can do anything, and God prepared a fish. But the end result, the lesson here is this. You cannot run from God. You cannot get away from God. God's everywhere. So if you know God wants you to do something and you're not willing to do it, and you think you're going to run from God, well, go ahead and try, but it won't work. In fact, your life will get worse and worse until you do what God wants you to do. The second, <clears throat> second lesson we can learn from the passage from this book is this. God will deal with his disobedient servants. You see, if you do try to run from God, you can't. You can't get out of his presence. But God will deal with his disobedient servants. And I don't know what God wants you to do. I don't know what God has been talking to you about. But I know this. If you don't obey God, he'll deal with you. If you're a child of God, you trust, you trust the Lord as your Savior, and you don't want to do what God tells you to do, God's going to deal with you. He's not going to say, all right, just through with you. He'll deal with you. The Bible says those the Lord, those the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges us. And he'll use the storms of life. The first thing that happened to Jonah was, you know, the storm came up. And uh, he wasn't worried about the storm at first because he was asleep down in the, in the boat. But this was a terrible storm, and, it, and all the men uh, found him, and uh, he got involved in it and all of that. And the Bible says that uh, God used that storm to bring Jonah to where he should be. And sometimes you'll, be trying, you'll not do what God wants you to do as a child of God, and then things start going bad. It might be a simple thing like, I'm going to quit tithing. Well, help thyself. <laughs> it won't work. <laughs> and it's surprising, you know, when you say, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to tithe. And you start tithing and find out, well, you, you have enough money. In fact, it seems like you have more than you did before. I talked to a man just this week who told me that. He says, uh, we, we weren't tithing, and my wife wouldn't wa didn't want me to tithe. And I was wanting to, but I said, look, let's try it for a month, and I'm going to give 12%. Let's try it for a month. And at the end of the month, she says, you know what? We have more money than we had before. How's that work? With God, all things are possible. It just pays to obey God. But it might be something else. You're saying, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. Well, God's going to deal with you, my friend, and he'll send storms in your life, and there'll be storms come up. Different things will happen, just like in Jonah's life. A storm came up, and God was dealing with his, with his servant. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's normal. If you don't do what God wants you to do, God will bring trials into your life, and he'll use those trials to get you to talk to, talk to him and turn to him. God will use trials. But sometimes he'll use a specially prepared trial. That specially prepared trial was the fish. 
the great fish. I know, I know Jonah didn't want to be swallowed by, by great fish. Jonah probably never entered his mind. He thought, I'm going to go down, I'm going to gulp some water, and it's going to be over. But God had a different plan. And God prepared a special trial for Jonah. You know, God sometimes prepares special trials for us. Maybe just the normal storms of life don't work. But something happened in your life that's never happened before, and it has so many uh, ramifications about it. It involves you, it involves your family, it involves friends, it just, it, everything. It just seems like this big trial that's never happened before. Remember, God prepared a fish. God prepared a great fish. And Jonah went through some experiences of that fish because the Bible says, uh, as he was talking about it, he says, I went down into the depths, you know, and came back up, and he said, weeds were wrapped around my head. What were the weeds around his head? Those were seaweeds. I doubt if he ate any of them either. <laughs> but there were seaweeds wrapped around his, his head. He had a terrible experience in that trial, but God had a purpose for that trial. And when you're not doing what God wants you to do, don't be surprised that God sends a special trial. When you run from God, he knows where to find you, and he also knows what to do with, with you. So you won't out-trick God. You won't, try to you won't deceive him. God knows everything, and God will get your attention one way or another. And so God will deal with those uh, servants that don't want to obey him. When God is dealing with you, then you're supposed to do as Jonah did. We see it in chapter 2, and it says in verse 1, and the Lord, the Lord prayed, and Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and he cried, and he said, I cried by reason of my affliction of the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest me. When you're going through that trial, that, that special trial that God sends your way, that's try, it's trying to get your attention, then the first thing you want to do is cry out to God and say, God, I realize it. I realize that. I recognize your hand. Look at verse 3. That For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the sea. The men threw him overboard. But Jonah realizes God was in all this. God let that happen. So God cast me into the midst of the sea. The floods comforted me about, and thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, for I will look again, I will, yet I will look again to thy holy temple. He's having a change of mind, and he says, Lord, I need you. The waters compass me about, even to the soul. The depths close me round about. The weaves are wrapped around my head. He's telling the Lord all that's going on. And I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, probably the fish, diving down. And then coming back up, and he said, I went down to the bottom of the mountains, and the earth with the bars were about me forever. I thought, yeah, I'd never get out of this. There's no way to get out of this. Yet thou hast brought me up, up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. And he realized in the belly of the fish that God wasn't going to let him die. He had a purpose for him. And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came into thee, into thine holy temple they, and he said this, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Jonah had done that. He had, he had uh, taken lying vanities, and one of them was, I can flee from the presence of the Lord, but he couldn't. And he says, uh, they observe lying vanities, 
uh, they forsake their own mercy. And that's what Jonah was doing, forsaking the mercy of the Lord. And he cries out to God, and he's, he's sorry about that. He says, I will sacrifice unto thee the voice of thanksgiving. Lord, I will be thankful. I'm a prophet. I didn't want to be a prophet and do this, but I'm now thankful. I'm, I'm thankful. I will pay that that I have vowed. I'll do what you told me to do, and salvation is of the Lord. He's saying, the Lord, the only way I'm going to get out of this problem is you. Salvation is the Lord. So he cries out to God. And when we face trouble as God's servants and God's after us, we need to do like Jonah did and talk to the Lord and come back to him and be willing to do what he said. Another lesson I learned from Jonah is this. God is gracious and merciful, and he will use us even after we fail. As many have said, he's a God of second chance. Chapter 3 says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, say, He hadn't changed his mind, hadn't changed the message, hadn't changed the assignment. His assignment is this, Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry against it and preach the preaching that I bid thee to do. You tell them what I tell you. Go preach to Nineveh. And so God's a God of second chance, and he'll give you another opportunity to serve him. And I'm glad that's true. I think back in the Bible of some others who experienced second chance. You think of Abraham and Sarah. Remember how they blew it? God told them they were going to have this promised child, but they got anxious and uh, impatient, and they wanted to uh, come up with their own plan, and they had Ishmael by Hagar. And you could have thought, well, God said, look, you're my special guy. I chose you. Unless you mess up like this, I'm through with you. I'm going to choose somebody else. But God didn't. God still used Sarah and Abraham and Sarah, and uh, Isaac was born, and he was the promised child. You think of Moses. Remember, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house, but then he had a desire for, to, uh, to help his people. And uh, in his own plan, he ended up defending another uh, Israelite and killed a man in the process. And you would think, well, Moses, you should have waited on God. You should have waited for his instruction to do it his way. And so he goes off, he's about 40 years old, and he goes off in, out in the wilderness for 40 more years. He's now 80 years old. And then God uses Moses, gave him a second chance, and God used Moses and he led the people of Israel out of the land. You think of David. David blew it, didn't he? With the sin of Bathsheba, and sometimes that's all people remember about David. But it was after that that David learned so many valuable lessons, and God used him in a great way. And some of the Psalms he wrote was after that, you know, and he told about how he went through that time and how God gave him victory over that, and God forgave him. And uh, God used David the second time he gave him that second chance. And then you think of Peter. Peter was doing well. And he said, Lord, I'm so close to you. Everybody else might fail you, but I won't, Lord. I'll never deny you. And the Lord says, before the cock crows thrice, you'll deny, twice you'll deny me thrice. Three times you'll deny me. Peter couldn't believe it, but he did. But it got, did Jesus say, all right, Peter, you did what I told you, what I said you were going to do. I can't depend on you. I, I'm through with you. No, Peter was the one who preached one of the greatest messages ever preached, and 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost. 
the God of second chance. And so it was with Jonah. He said, go preach to the preaching to, to, to Nineveh, the preaching that I bid thee. And so his message was, was uh, something you would like for me to do probably. He preached the message that was eight words long. Eight words. And it was this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, he probably elaborated some as he was preaching around. I'm not sure, but he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He went throughout Nineveh preaching that message. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't change it. He just did what God told him to do, and that is tell them judgment is coming. Because of your wickedness, you have 40 days, and it's going to be all over. God's going to judge. God was gracious to use this runaway swallowed up, vomited up preacher the second time to deliver his message. A strange man in a strange land with a strange message. And Jonah went and preached. God can use anybody, and he'll use you if you let him to, let him as a Christian. You might have said, I've messed up in my life. Well, God still wants to give you another chance to live for him, and he can do it because he's in that business. Then there's another lesson, is that, that is this. God is merciful and willing to forgive. You know, we probably rather th- need to think about that, because in all the emotion and everything, and I get caught up in it as well, of Israel and Amos, and say, wipe them off the face of the earth. And I agree with that to a certain extent, but let's not forget. Those people that work for Amos, And those people who are enemies of of Israel, Jesus died for them. (laughs) Jesus died for them. And uh, Jonah was facing something like that because these these Ninevites, these Assyrians, the Israelites didn't like them at all. They hated them. And the Ninevites hated the Israelites. And they're going to prove that later when they take them off into captivity. I mean, they're wicked people. They're worshiping all these false gods, and they're wicked people. But God has a merciful heart to wicked people. Aren't you glad he does? (laughs) Because we are those people. We don't deserve to go to heaven. None of us do. We deserve to go to hell. But Jesus loved us and died for us on the cross of Calvary. So what happened? Jonah preached, and the people believed God. I mean, amazing. Jonah preached, and they believe him. They believe that judgment's coming. They proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth. It was an outward sign of humility and humbling themselves and saying, I'm not going to dress up real nice. I'm not going to look real pretty or anything. I'm just going to put on this sackcloth and let God know I'm nothing. I'm so sorry for my sin. And they put on sackcloth, and they proclaimed a fast. I'm not going to eat anything. God, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to us. I want you to understand we are going to repent. We're going to change. We don't want judgment to come. The king heard about it. The Bible says he laid aside his robes. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. I mean, the king of the land had a pile of ashes out there, and he put on this old rough clothing, and he sat in the ashes, and he didn't eat as well. In fact, he made a decree, and he says, everybody's to fast, even the animals. We want God to know we're serious. 
and everybody's to put on sackcloth, and they're crying mightily to God, and they're to turn from their evil ways, and their violence is in their hands. The king recognized the people over whom he was the king. They were a wicked people. And he said, God, I recognize that. I agree with you. We deserve punishment. And we cry mightily to you and say, we're going to turn from our evil way. And then he said this, who can tell if God will then repent? Who can tell if God will change his mind? Well, you see, he knew something or he was hoping for something that Jonah already knew. We find out in chapter 4 that Jonah knew this about God. When God said, go, Jonah, go preach to Nineveh, Jonah knew that the God he served was a gracious God and a merciful God, and these people just might repent, and God would not judge them if they did, and, and Jonah knew that. He said in verse 2 of chapter 4, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, O oh Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled from, uh, before unto Tarshish. I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance thee of the evil. God, I knew that's kind of the kind of God you were. So I didn't want these people to repent. I didn't want them to change. I didn't want you to spare them. I wanted you to kill them, and I knew that you were a gracious God. And that's the reason I fled. Well, God saw their works, the Ninevites, and he turned from their, his, his way, his, his thinking about them. He repented. He saw how they turned from their evil ways. And so he decided he wasn't going to judge them. He reminds us of the kind of God that we serve. Psalm 86 verse 5 says this, that For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Ezekiel chapter 33 it says this in verse 11. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his, from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You remember in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord said, the Lord is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to die. Jesus came to seek and to save those which are lost, and that's everybody. God is a gracious God. He's a loving God. That's why Joshua is going to the mission field. That's why our missionaries go to other places to take the word of God because they know that God loves those people. They have different customs. They have different beliefs. They have different religion, but they know there's one way to heaven, and God wants to save those people regardless how wicked they might be. God wants to save them. The same is true in, this, in these United States. When your neighbor just turns you off because of their terrible ways and their loud music and their drinking and their partying and all their sin and all their cursing and they just turn you away, you have to remind yourself God loves them and God wants to save them and God's not willing that any should perish that all should come to repentance so God is merciful and he's willing to forgive. But then there's another lesson we need to learn from this passage, and that is God is displeased when his servants are not like him. God is displeased when his servants are not like he is. You see, God wants us to be gracious, like, like Jonah said. He wants us to be gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. 
Ephesians chapter 4, that very familiar passage. You remember it says in uh, Ephesians 4 verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And some of us have trouble with that. Some of us have trouble with people who just rub us the wrong way and we just can't stand the way they live and we're tempted to hate them. God says, don't do that. Have you ever gone into a store after something that happened, like happened recently and we know that uh, these people of these different beliefs have attacked Israel and uh, you know, back in 9-11 when they attacked us and you go into a store and you find a lady dressed in this this uh, veil, you know, and the long clothes, and you think, she's a Muslim. And in your heart, you have a sort of a bitterness. Don't do that. Because you need to say, God loves that person. Jesus died for that person. And I need to have a heart of love and compassion for that person like Jesus has. You remember... The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And God wants us to be like him. It's interesting that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 2, that we just read, it follows with the next verse. And it says this, Be ye, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. God would be saying to, to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to be like me. Jonah, forget all your hatred. Forget all your desire for these people to be killed. You should be preaching so that, that they will repent. You should be preaching so that they will change. You should be pre preaching so they will come to know your God, not so your God will destroy them. And Jonah, I want you to be like me. But Jonah was not like God. He outwardly obeyed God reluctantly, but he did not have a loving heart to those people for, to whom he preached. He did not love them. He was angry when God did not destroy them. And we find that when God said he's not going to destroy them, Jonah was angry. When he found they repented and Jonah knew what kind of God he served, and when they repented, God's not going to judge them. I know he's not going to, and it made him mad. He was angry. He was displeased. And he said this, I'd just rather die. I'd rather die. Now, why would he say that? I believe because he was selfish. He was concerned about what people back home who also hated these Ninevites would think if they found out that all these Ninevites were spared judgment and now they love the same God we serve and it's all your fault, Jonah. And Jonah was thinking all of that probably and he was selfish and so he said, I would just rather die than go back and face my people. So then God had some work to do on his prophet. And so the Bible says God prepared a gourd. And this gourd came up supernaturally, just overnight, just sprung up. And it was a kind of plant that shaded him from the sun. And the Bible says Jonah is you know, being angry and displeased with God and, and what God was doing. And he got, saw this gourd and he was happy. It says he was exceedingly glad. It's the only time in the book of Jonah that we find Jonah was happy. Only time. Sounds like us, doesn't it? We're so happy we got a new car. We're so happy we got a new dress or a new 
uh, suit of clothes or whatever it might be. We're so happy that we got something to alleviate this pain we've been going through. And we're so happy in all these things. And yet people die and go to hell and doesn't even bother us. And we're like Jonah, sleep down in the ship, asleep, not worrying about anything, running away from God. And Jonah was selfish and he was uncaring, so God prepared a gourd. And God made that gourd grow up and Jonah got all excited about the gourd and then God said he also prepared a worm. And that worm came and, and it says that uh, it came up at night and it, the, the, mo- the worm smote the gourd so that it withered. So it was probably just a little worm and it probably gnawed away at the root. And the thing withered away. Next day, here the sun comes out and no more shade. And it's beating down on Jonah's head. He's already angry with God and, and the thing he was happy about is gone. And uh, it's beating down on his head. And then the Lord sends this, this wind... It's hot, and it's a hot wind. The sun's burning hot, and he's just miserable as he can be. And he says, I'd just rather die. It'd be better for me to live to die than to live. And so he's just really upset with God and the whole circumstance. And then God asked him two questions. He said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Do you would be well to be angry with the, about the gourd? And Jonah said, I do well to be angry even unto death. I'll tell you, now Jonah wrote this about himself. <laughs> He's letting us know what kind of situation he was in. He said, I, I do well to be angry even unto death. Aren't we like that sometimes? We got so upset about physical things, but we don't get upset about spiritual things. We go upset about things that don't go our way, but we don't care about people who are going to hell. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me as well. And Jonah was excited about the gourd. God took the gourd away and sent this wind. And God says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah's determined. He said, yes, I do well to be angry even unto death. And then, John, then God closed the book by writing one last question. He said this, should not I spare Nineveh? I mean, the gourd you had nothing to do with. You didn't make it grow. You had nothing to do with it. It was just a gift. But these people, I made these people. And in this city, there's 120,000 little kids, probably close to a million people, and also a lot of cattle. And if I just destroyed this city like I did Sodom and Gomorrah, just think of all the loss of all those souls dying and going to hell. Just think about that. And he says, Jonah, should not I spare Nineveh? I made all these people. Shouldn't I have a heart of compassion for them? Jonah never answers the question. I believe Jonah may be remembered that God does care about people. Maybe he remembered that God cared about him. Maybe he remembered that God gave him another chance. I don't know what it was, but Jonah probably had a change of mind after this. Reminds me in Matthew chapter 11, the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God wants everyone to come. 
John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world is everybody. Your friends, your neighbors, the people that are your enemies, the people at work that at work who don't like you, the people at work who move against you and try to get a promotion over you, all those things that go on. Uh, you have to understand God loves those people and he wants them to be saved. But so many times our priorities are all messed up and we love things, but we don't love souls. As we close, I just want to remind all of us of something. If you love things, but you don't love souls, God's still in the business of preparing worms. God can still take down all those things. And God can get our attention on the right thing, and that is to love souls. In this book, so often people think of Jonah. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the story about the great fish. And we forget, no, that's the story about the great God who's a merciful, gracious God who wants to save people. May we understand that God's not pleased when we don't have the same kind of heart as he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for showing us the lessons in this book. And I'm sure there are many others as well. But Lord, I pray that we might be people who are conscious of the kind of God you are. Help us to be more like you, Lord, and to quit falling in love with things so much, and we would start falling in love with you and have the heart that you have and want to take people to heaven with us and share with them the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for saving us. And I pray that we'd be more like you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.